Um, it's been a good morning to be with you and worshiping. Uh, we are in our second week of our Being the Church for Battle Creek sermon series um, in which we look at what it means to be the church and what the church on mission in a community looks like. And so we've kind of set off on a tra trajectory. We're going to go through the book of Acts, um, and not chapter by chapter, not verse by verse, but following these early church folks, these Jesus followers who, who experienced the resurrection. Uh, last week we saw on the day of Pentecost where they were filled with the Spirit and given that power, right? And so uh, last week, just a quick recap, if you had forgotten or don't remember or missed it, these disciples were gathered together in Jerusalem uh, for this festival, this harvest feast, this day of Pentecost. And uh, they heard this loud noise that was like a rushing wind and they could, you know, it could be heard and it was heard by everyone. And, and these little flames came and rested on each of their heads. It was kind of this weird representation that the Spirit had come. Um, and what happened was the, the disciples that received this Spirit started acting a little bit differently. There was some new abilities, there were some new behaviors that came with the, with the Spirit's presence. And so people started making fun of them or started saying, well, they're drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning and they're already drunk or they're still drunk from last night. And they didn't understand what God had been doing in the lives of these people. And so they looked at these followers of Jesus and they assumed the worst. They weren't filled with the Holy Spirit, they thought. They assumed they were filled with wine. And so these critics, these people that were observing the followers of Jesus, thought that these followers weren't being faithful to God's commands. They thought they were being sinful, being drunks. And this, this silly incident, this, this misrepresentation, this misunderstanding about what was going on with the disciples sets the tone for the rest of the book of Acts where God is up to something in the lives of his people and those witnessing from the outside don't quite understand what's going on. Especially those religious leaders. They're going to encounter these Jesus followers over and over again and they're not, never going to understand any more clearly than they did this first day. Rather, they're going to judge the, these disciples and think that they're not being faithful to God. And so this criticism, this misunderstanding, this confusion is what prompted Peter's response, right? The uh, apostle Peter, the, the Jesus follower Peter, responds, and he responds by quoting, uh, like we mentioned last week, from the Old Testament prophet Joel. He says, what you don't understand is this is the fulfillment of what God has promised. Yes, these people are acting differently, but it's not a bad thing. It's, it's actually God keeping his promises many generations ago that he made the Spirit would be poured out on women and men, and they would become prophets to all nations. And whoever would respond to this call of the prophets by placing their trust, by placing their faith, by pledging allegiance in, to God, those people would be saved. And so this was the introduction to the very first Christian sermon. The very first sermon in the history of the church, right? It's the day of Pentecost. And, and if you think about how many sermons have been preached in the history of the church, in the last 2,000 years since the church was born on the day of Pentecost, you think about probably millions, maybe even billions of sermons. Who knows? This was the first one. And if you have your Bible or a Bible app or want to follow along on the screen, we're just going to pick up right where we left off last week in Acts chapter 2, 
We're going to read verses 22 through 24, and then we're going to skip a little bit, uh, not because I don't want you to read it, but because it's, it's Peter talking about uh, David and his relationship with Jesus, and we'll get into that at another point in time. But So we'll read 20 through 24, skip to 32 through 41. And this scripture that we're looking at this morning is Peter's proclamation, his sermon, this very first sermon in the life of the church. So <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. Verses 22 through 24, then 32 through 41. I'm not going to sing. That's not going to happen. Nope. <laughs> we'll give it a second. That's not me either. Any luck? If not, I'll just go without you guys. We've, like, pulled a pin on a grenade and threw it into the sound room and said, here, make it work. And, you know. Um, <laughs> So I'll just read, follow along um, in your Bibles or your Bible app, or just listen to my uh, reading. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you and through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Jumping to verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So the word of God for the people of God. Our response is, thanks be to God. Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word this morning. This story, this first sermon in the life of your, your church. We are thankful for Peter's boldness, his clarity, his message. May we be receivers of this message so that it forms us more perfectly into the image of your Son, so that we may be this light in dark places that our, our kids are learning about today in junior church. We ask that you would just bless us in this time. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. So this first Christian sermon... And as verse 41 says, 3,000 people heard that message, accepted it, and were baptized. Now, this is the type of thing that gets pastors and church leaders kind of excited. 
<laughs> one message, one sermon, one invitation, and 3,000 new believers. But here's the question for you today as we think about this sermon, as we uh, are people who take the Bible seriously and want to understand what's going on in these scriptures. The question for us this morning is, what was Peter's invitation to that crowd that day? We often get excited about the 3,000 people, and rightfully so. That's a big deal, and it's a, it's a bold start to this new church thing that God is up to. But what was Peter's invitation to the crowd that day? What was the message that Peter preached, and, and what was the response that he was hoping to get? And if you're paying attention, as I, as I read, you'll notice that nowhere in his invitation did Peter say, accept Jesus into your heart so you can go to heaven when you die. We just read the sermon. That wasn't part of it, right? Rather, his, his invitation was this. He said, be saved out of this corrupt and crooked generation. And so for the very first time in the history of the church, a sermon is preached that is evangelistic, meaning it's, it's asking people who don't have faith to have faith in Jesus. It's evangelistic in nature. And the sermon ends with a call for people to be saved. And what does Peter call people to be saved from? From a corrupt generation. He says, be saved from this corrupt and crooked generation. Nowhere in his sermon does he, he mention an afterlife in hell. In fact, if you go read the whole book of, of Acts from start to finish, you'll see that, that hell isn't mentioned in there. Um, it's, it's really not part of the uh, message of the book of Acts. And, and to be clear, I'm not denying, like I'm not saying there's no hell. I'm just saying it's not in the book of Acts, right? So let's just don't draw any conclusions about my theology based off of this. <laughs> it's just not in this sermon. It's not in this book, right? Um, the invitation that Peter preached wasn't, wasn't something about where you go when you die. And so if we're going to be people who take the Bible seriously, we just have to make sure we're reading what's in front of us and not bringing other stuff into the text. Peter preaches the sermon and does not ask people to believe something about Jesus to avoid eternal punishment. Rather, Peter appeals to the crowd to be saved from this corrupt generation. So what exactly does that mean? What is he talking about? What is, what is this message that he's preaching that, that draws such a huge response? He was talking about the culture and society in which his audience was living. There was something so wicked, so corrupt, so crooked, so fundamentally wrong with their world that their only option was to get saved out of it. And Peter is showing them the way He's, he's teaching them the path, the way out of this profoundly wrong society and culture. He's inviting them to take those steps. He's, he knew those that were listening to him had been formed and shaped by a powerfully corrupt culture. How wrong and how corrupt was this culture? How, how evil was this culture that they needed to be saved out of? It was so twisted. It was so confused. It was so corrupt. It was so crooked. It was capable of murdering the sinless son of the loving God. It was so corrupt and crooked and, and confused that when Jesus shows up representing the perfect love of God, their response was, we need to kill this guy. Jesus had been arrested and handed to the Romans by these Jewish religious leaders. And Peter's audience 
were Jews that were a part of that religious system. It was their leaders that handed the sinless Son of God over to the Romans, who then crucified him in the name of peace and in the name of justice. Jewish religious culture partnered with Roman power to crucify Jesus. And this Jewish religious culture who boasted in being God's chosen people, that was a big part of their identity. We are God's chosen people of all the, the religious communities in the world. These people believed that they were the chosen ones of their God. They were the true children of the one true God. They were children of Abraham and Moses. These are people of great faith. And they heard this message saying, you are tied up in this system that killed the Son of God himself. And these religious leaders uh, partnered with Rome. Rome, which boasted itself, thought of itself as the greatest civilization in the world. The greatest empire with its architecture, with its wealth, its power, its technology, its advancements of, of modern living. And so you have these two seemingly great Societies, seemingly great cultures, this Jewish religious culture and this Roman Empire that we hold up on pedestals and said, well, these are really great things, but they conspired together to crucify Jesus, this innocent, this sinless son of God. And so the question is, how great can you be if you're willing to kill innocent people to maintain your status and power? How great can these two cultures be if they look at Jesus, the Son of God, and come to the conclusion that they have to kill him? This is evil revealed in the culture of what appeared to be great peoples and great nations. And this culture is what was shaping the Jewish people and the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, all, all around, right? The Roman Empire had tremendous influence. But think about this for a minute. If you're being shaped and formed by a culture... A generation, a society that thinks killing Jesus in the name of peace and justice and truth is the right thing to do, then you are part of, you belong to a culture that is so twisted and so corrupt and so distorted and so perverse that you absolutely need to be saved out of it. And so if you can hear Peter's sermon for what it really is, then you might realize that he's telling his crowd, he's telling his audience that you are a part of a culture, a system, a society that is capable of doing the most terrible, evil things and calling it good. And doing it in the name of religious obedience. Doing it in the name of God. In the name of peace. In the name of justice. Peter says that God's Messiah showed up. God sent his son. God sent his Messiah. And this generation is so corrupt that it killed him. And then he says, if you're a part of this generation, if you're a part of this culture, then you killed him too. Peter says that their sins and the sins of their culture crucified God's Messiah, Jesus. But God raised Jesus from the dead, and now Jesus offers total forgiveness. The Son of God, Jesus, who was killed in this corrupt generation, was not defeated by death. It was not the end of the story for him, so nor is it the end of the story for you. These sins that drove Jesus to the cross do not hold the final truth. God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day and now offers forgiveness. No condemnation, no shame, no retribution, only grace and forgiveness for your sins. And if we stop there, it would be a powerful and tremendous truth. It would be a great message and you could see why this crowd was so quick. The scripture said it was cut to their heart. 
they had that moment of realization that we might have messed up. We didn't have the right lens. We didn't have the right uh, filter to see what Jesus was, who he was, and what he was about. And so they hear this message of Peter and hear a message of forgiveness. And that would have been an amazing sermon if he just stopped right there, but it wasn't over yet. Peter continued on. Jesus is king. He sits at the right hand of the Father. That's a, a divine ruling position. He's the king. He's the Christ. The world has a new emperor that will save them from this corrupt generation, King Jesus. And so this message that Peter preached wasn't a message about getting your sins forgiven and then going back on the same path you'd always been on. It wasn't about getting your, your dark blots cleaned off and then being set back on the same path that you picked up those dark blots to begin with. Of course, get your sins forgiven. That's, that's obviously a big part of this message. Repent of those sins and receive forgiveness. But then don't stay a part of that sick and dying world. Escape from it. Be saved out of it. No longer serve the systems. No longer serve the powers that murdered the Son of God. Be saved from this corrupt generation. This first generation of Christians, this first church, boldly declared that all other kingdoms are going to fall. That every way that isn't the way of Jesus leads to destruction. It leads to judgment. And so the invitation was to flee from that corrupt generation. Flee from the ways that lead to death. Get out of the kingdoms of this world that will take you down with it. Repent and get out while you can. And that's what baptism meant to this early church. It meant that it was their official entrance into this alternative kingdom. It was uh, entrance into this way of Jesus. They're pledging their allegiance to a different king, to a different ruler, and his name is Jesus. Peter wasn't preaching a sermon that was forgiveness of sins and then a ticket to heaven when you die. He was preaching forgiveness and participation in and belonging to a society that we call the body of Christ, the kingdom of God. And this is what the apostles preached throughout the whole book of Acts. Like I said, for the next few weeks, we're going to follow these followers through the book of Acts. We will go through the stories about the early church, and you will see them getting in trouble you will see them getting persecuted. Some are killed by religious leaders and some are killed by Roman authorities. But these early Christians, this first church wasn't persecuted because they were preaching about going to heaven when they died. They were persecuted because they preached a message that said there was only one king. King Jesus. There's only one emperor and it's not Caesar. It was Lord Jesus, King Jesus, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And these early Christians wouldn't worship the gods of Rome. They wouldn't worship the emperor. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. They were preaching a new emperor and a new empire. And that will get you in trouble. They were called atheists for not believing in the Roman gods. In some of the ancient documents around the earliest uh, church history, there's records of people calling the Christians atheists because they don't believe in the, basically the buffet of gods that were part of the Roman Empire. They were labeled as unpatriotic for not blindly embracing the values and culture of that empire. They were viewed as a threat to the Roman way of life, and with good reason. They were a threat to the Roman way of life. They rejected it. 
They said, we're not following these values. We're not following this way. We're not worshiping those gods. They declared that there was only one way you couldn't serve Caesar and Jesus. You couldn't live by the values, the values of the kingdom of God and the values of the empire of Rome. They didn't line up. Those two distinct kingdoms, two distinct kings. There was no overlap. You could only serve one. But that was 2,000 years ago. Maybe you're thinking things are different now. But I think it might not be as different as we'd hope that it would be. Peter preached his sermon on the day of Pentecost to a people who were part of a religious system that was compromised by its allegiance to a materialistic and a militaristic culture. The Jewish religious leaders should have been prophetically calling out this Roman worship of wealth and power and speaking against it. The religious leaders in Jesus' day should have been confronting the idolatry of the people in the empire. They should have been. Rome was a celebration of what could be accomplished with enough force, with enough wealth, with enough violence. Power and wealth were its two highest values. In the, in the Roman religious system, the gods that represented power and wealth were the two gods that were most devotedly worshipped. Those were their two biggest gods, power and wealth. They were also personified in the human form in the Roman emperor, the Caesar. He was believed to be those gods embodied in flesh. And so this Jewish religious culture, these, these prophets, these religious leaders, should have been speaking out prophetically against this idolatry, this perversion, this, this idol worship. They should have been speaking out against this worship that displaced God as the center of this religious life. But despite worshiping the God of Abraham in name and tradition, these religious leaders really worshiped at the altars of money and war, wealth, and power. If you remember back at Easter time when, when uh, Jesus is on trial with Pilate and Pilate says, you want me to kill your king? You want me to crucify him? You want to, me to do this to your king? And the religious chief priests said this, we have no king but Caesar. Do you remember that? This powerful moment, this confession that, that Jesus, is, his, his journey to the cross reveals the deep corruption, this idolatry of power. The ones that were supposed to be leading Israel to faith in God confessed, we have no king but Caesar. It was a revealing moment. They paid lip service to the God of Israel, but in their hearts they worshiped power and wealth. So Peter tells his audience, this Jesus of Nazareth was God's Messiah, and your religious leaders turned him over to the Roman authorities and had him crucified. And that tells you the depths of how twisted our culture is and how corrupt that generation was. And Jesus, the one true, has been raised from the dead, offers forgiveness, and now offers an alternative kingdom in which to live. So get out while you can, says Peter. Be baptized into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Church, that was the very first Christian sermon. And if you're paying attention at all, you'll see why it drew such a response from the audience. But you'll also see why it drew such a response from those religious leaders. Peter wasn't pulling punches. He wasn't, you know, kind of talking softly around the edges. He just boldly declared how corrupt and evil the religious system had become. 
And so Peter, this, in this sermon, calls for a radical rejection of the kingdoms of this world, the powers of this world, the values of this world. Reject all of that so you can embrace the Jesus way. A culture that worships power and wealth is distorted, it's corrupt, it's twisted, and it's headed towards destruction. That was the message behind Peter's sermon. If you worship power and wealth, you're headed to destruction. And a religion that allows itself to be controlled and influenced by worship of power or wealth leads away from the kingdom of Jesus. But there's some good news. Is anybody interested in some good news this morning? This has been pretty heavy, but does anybody want some good news? The good news is that Jesus saves. Right? That's the, that's the punchline of this whole sermon. Jesus saves. Not only does Jesus forgive sin, but Jesus, he saves us from the sick and this dying culture that worships all the wrong things. He frees us from our bondage to that culture. He frees us from our debt to that culture. He frees us from the, the, the way that it has discipled us and shaped us. He says, you're free from all of that. And so a Sunday worship gathering, a church service, is not a, a, just a pit stop in life to, to fill up your tank or to, you know, for you to refuel so you can go back to living in the kingdom of the world. But rather, a Sunday gathering of believers is an invitation and it's a sign that points to a completely different kingdom. We don't want you to be well-inspired, well fed, well-encouraged people living in the wrong kingdom, but we want you to be faithful people living in the kingdom of Jesus. Six days a week, the world is at work trying to convince you that power and greed and status and popularity and selfish ambitions are what you should be chasing. That's the message of this kingdom. The world tells you that if you had more money, more control, more people who liked you if you were more successful, then, then you'd be happy. Then you'd find peace. But Peter stands up in this amazing sermon and he reminds us that Jesus didn't become emperor of Rome. He didn't want to rule that kingdom. He didn't want to be the best of that kingdom. But Jesus leads an entirely different kingdom. You need to escape from the kingdom of this world to enter into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus invites you to come out of the way of this world and declares, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He says, no one gets to see the Father but through me. So how do we respond to this? We believe in Jesus. Everything else will fail you. Everything else will fall short. It will crumble. It will disappoint. It will lead toward despair, destruction, and death. But not Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus and follow him. Confess that Jesus is Lord. No one else, nothing else is Lord. Not your society, not your culture, not your country, not your fears, not the values of the world around you. Jesus is Lord. And if you make this commitment, if you make this confession and are baptized into the kingdom of Jesus and pledge to serve only King Jesus, there will be those around you who don't understand. There will be those around you who will be uncomfortable. When you put your trust in Jesus instead of power and wealth, people will react. 
I can say that because that's what's been happening for 2,000 years of church history. They won't understand how you will have what you need if you don't worship wealth and money. How are you going to have it? How are you going to have enough? How, why? You're, you're not going to have enough if you don't chase after this idol, this idol of wealth and money. They won't understand. And they won't understand who's going to take care of you if you don't worship the God of power and control. But our answer is that we don't put our faith in money and we don't put our faith in power and force and control, but our trust, our faith, our allegiance is in King Jesus alone. We've left the kingdom of this world behind for an eternal kingdom where the foundation of everything is God's love for us. And so I share today the same invitation that Peter shared in that first sermon. Let's live the Jesus way. Let's leave the corrupt culture and this twisted generation. Let's enter the kingdom of Christ where there's forgiveness, where there's true peace, where there's true joy. The first step in being the church for Battle Creek is to be the church. (laughs) To be people who live in this alternative kingdom that Jesus makes possible. If you look around the world around you and say, this isn't how it should be. (laughs) Man, there's people that are suffering because things aren't quite right here. I wish there was an alternative. I wish there was another way. I wish there was another path. Why does it have to be this way? The sermon of Peter says there is an alternative. There is another way. It doesn't have to be this way. We have another king that we can follow. We have another kingdom that we can live in. And the first step to being the church, that's for Battle Creek, is just simply be the church. Be the community of believers devoted only to Jesus, embracing the way of Jesus, living and loving as Jesus taught us. For this sermon series and probably beyond, I've, I've just kind of fell in love with this, this phrase that describes to me what the church is and should be. We are a community of believers declaring that Jesus is king through our actions and our words. We're declaring that Jesus is king through our actions and our words when we gather together. We are declaring that Jesus is king through our actions and our words as we uh, separate out into the world and live our lives in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our jobs, in our schools. Peter said, King Jesus is ready to forgive sins. He's ready to offer another way of living. The world is desperately in need of that. And this first church, these earliest Christians, were bold and declared Jesus as king. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and lead us in a time of response. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you sent your son, your sinless, perfect representation of you and your love, your word, your teaching made flesh and living amongst us. And Father, our reaction A reaction as people who, who have a tendency to, to worship the wrong thing saw Jesus not as salvation but as a threat. Those in power and in control saw him as a threat. 
and killed him. And as good as we may think a system is or as good as a religion or you know, a society as we think it is, if it's willing to crucify you, <laughs> we know it's missing something. Father, we are so grateful that Jesus was resurrected but ascended to your right hand and now rules your kingdom not with a sense of revenge not with a sense of anger violent retribution but with forgiveness what a powerful message Peter preached to these people he said you all killed the Messiah but he forgives you He invites you out of that system that blinded you from the truth. He invites you out of that darkness that keeps you from seeing God at work amongst you. Father, help us to be people who see. We thank you and love you.